Jeff's Midweek Bible Study, a verse-by-verse teaching through the Bible with Pastor Jeff Lassane. We hope this podcast encourages your faith, and now, here's Pastor Jeff. Hello, hello. Welcome to this Bible Study podcast. You know, as a kid growing up in the early 1960s, I remember watching the movie To Kill a Mockingbird based on the terrific novel by Harper Lee. That movie was probably my earliest exposure to when a person is proven innocent in a court of law, but is declared to be guilty. Actor Gregory Peck played, I think, the role of a lifetime as an Alabama country lawyer named Atticus Finch, and the story takes place during the Great Depression. An innocent man, a black man named Tom Robinson, is accused of attacking a young girl, and so Atticus decides to defend him in court. Even before the court case begins, uh, Finch acknowledges that he has little or no chance of winning the case because of the prevailing racial prejudice in the rural South of the 1930s. Even so, Finch defends Tom and clearly proves that he's innocent, but As expected, Tom Robinson is found guilty and then sent to prison, and we learn at the end of the movie and the end of the book that while in prison, Tom tries to run away and is shot down by the prison guards. Then my next exposure to how a person is proclaimed innocent but then sentenced to die is in the story of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels. The difference, of course, is that Christ willingly died to save us from our sins. When we last left off in our series here through the Gospel of Mark, we had looked at how Jesus had been betrayed by Judas Iscariot and then arrested on the authority of the religious leaders. They put Jesus through an illegal court trial. They did not have the legal authority, though, to execute Jesus. And so that brings us now to Mark chapter 15 and the story of Jesus being brought before the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. You know, on the surface, this passage describes Jesus being judged by Pilate. But as we read it, there's no mistaking the fact that this is also about Pilate standing before Jesus. And like Judas Iscariot, Pontius Pilate determined his own fate. Well, with that in mind, my message title will be, When Pilate Stood Before Jesus. Let's read this together now. We're going to pick up in verse 1 of Mark chapter 15. We read immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered and said to him, it is as you say. And then the chief priests accused him of many things, but Jesus said nothing. So Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you not answer anything? See how many things they're testifying against you. But Jesus still said nothing, causing Pilate to marvel. Now during Passover, Pilate was accustomed to releasing one prisoner, whomever the people requested. And there was one prisoner named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask Pilate to do as he had always done for them. 
So Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed Jesus over because of envy. However, the chief priests had stirred up the crowd so that Pilate should release Barabbas to them instead. Pilate answered and said to them again, What do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So the crowd cried out, Crucify him! Then Pilate said to him, to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Through the years, liberal religious writers have tried to paint and portray both Judas Iscariot and Pontius Pilate as men who were not entirely at fault for their actions and saying that they were, you know, kind of swept up in the drama of Christ's crucifixion. But that is simply not how the Gospels present the eyewitness facts to us. In the case of Pontius Pilate, he knew that Jesus was innocent. He publicly declared that he was, and he even said that he wanted to release him. But because of political pressures and pressures from the crowds, he ultimately did what was expedient for him, delivering Jesus to be crucified. Was Pilate caught between a rock and a hard place? Absolutely. Did Pilate stand firm on the truth, regardless of the consequences, and then do the right thing? Absolutely not. Pilate sent an innocent man to his death. Here now in verse 1, we read that it was in the morning, which puts the story at daybreak, somewhere close to 6 a.m. The Jews had hastily wrapped up their illegal trial of Jesus, and that was as far as they could take it. Under Roman law, the Jews were not permitted to put anyone to death. The power of the sword and the power of execution belonged solely to the Roman Empire. You know, later on in Acts 7, we read how the Jews did stone Stephen to death for allegedly committing blasphemy, but that was not a legal execution. That was really what amounted to a religious mob's hostile re uh, reaction to Stephen's convicting testimony. These Jewish leaders would have loved to stone Jesus to death here for a similar charge of blasphemy, but with the Passover taking place and so many people in and around Jerusalem, along with the presence of a heightened Roman military to keep the peace, they knew that they couldn't get away with it. Otherwise, otherwise they would have done it. But more importantly, the scriptures had prophesied that Jesus would die by crucifixion and not by stoning. In Psalm 22, David presents a prophetic picture of the crucifixion, you know, hundreds of years before crucifixion even existed. And as Jesus himself had said, if I am lifted up from the earth, speaking of his crucifixion, I will draw all peoples to myself. So here now at daybreak, the religious leaders brought their prisoner Jesus to the praetorium. That's where the Roman governor Pilate was staying. The praetorium was not only Pilate's residence while he was in Jerusalem, it's where court cases were heard in the judgment hall. When there was no Jewish feast or official business going on, a pilot's normal residency was at Caesarea on the coast. On an interesting side note, the existence of a Roman governor named Pontius Pilate serving in Palestine during the early first century has been disputed for years by liberal scholars. And that's because outside of the Bible, there is no evidence and there was no evidence for a man named Pilate serving as a governor. 
But that all changed in 1961 when a team of Italian archaeologists discovered a limestone in the area of the theater at Caesarea on the coast next to where Pilate's private palace was located. On that limestone tablet was an inscription that read, Pontius Pilate, prefect or governor of Judea. This stone dated back to the first century and universally it was verified as being authentic, providing solid archaeological proof and evidence of a Roman governor named Pontius Pilate. But let's not miss the point that the New Testament already documented the reality and the story of Pilate for the last 2,000 years. That original limestone with that inscription now resides in the Israeli Museum. And uh, on one of my visits to Israel, I was able to go by the museum and see that as well as some other interesting artifacts. Well, from the writings of Josephus, we know other things about Pilate. He was approximately the same age as Jesus, and uh, he became governor over Judea in 26 AD, four years before Jesus began his public ministry. Prior to his political career, Pilate had served as a Roman military commander. The wife of Pilate was named Claudia, and she was the granddaughter of Caesar Augustus. So Pilate was very well connected politically. He was appointed and sent to Judea from Rome by the emperor Tiberius. You know, Tiberius even gave Pilate a special gold ring with the inscription, Amicus Caesarius, or Friend of the Caesar. Please keep that fact in mind, and I'd like to refer back to it later in this message. Well, as soon as daybreak arrived, the Sanhedrin brought Jesus to the praetorium, seeking an audience with Pilate, the governor. It's around 6 a.m. in the morning, and it's possible that Pilate had to be waken up to meet these eager council members. In complete hypocrisy, John's gospel tells us that those Sanhedrin members would not enter the praetorium. Why? Because it would defile them to enter a Gentile building on Passover. So instead, they waited outside for Pilate to come out to them. Now, mind you, murdering an, murdering an innocent man, that didn't bother them, but defiling themselves inside a Gentile building, well, that was out of the question. It's mind-boggling that they could rationalize all of their religious hypocrisy. In the movie Tombstone, remember Val Kilmer plays the role of Doc Holliday, and at one point he says, it appears that my hypocrisy knows no bounds. Well, you know, in much the same way, there was no limit to the hypocrisy of these unsaved religious leaders. Now, even though the council members were forced to bring Jesus before Pilate for sentencing, they clearly did not want Pilate to investigate or even question their procedures or the charges at hand. They simply wanted to have Pilate sentence Jesus to execution. Therefore, when Pilate questioned them about the actual charges against Jesus, those leaders became indignant and defensive. Paraphrasing their condescending response to Pilate, they said to him, if Jesus were not such a dangerous threat, we wouldn't have brought him to you, almost like they were doing Pilate a favor or something. Nevertheless, Pilate wasn't a fool, and in verse 2, he took Jesus inside and he began to interrogate him for himself, asking him, are you the king of the Jews? Pilate asked Jesus that specific question because it was one of the three charges brought to him by the Sanhedrin. According to Luke 23.2, those three charges were that Jesus was perverting the nation, 
he was forbidding the paying of taxes to Caesar and that he was claiming to be a king. Now, the first two charges were absurd. Jesus did not pervert the nation. In fact, he had come to save the nation from itself. And then when they tried to trap him with a trick question about taxes, Jesus had already stated publicly, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So I think Pilate saw through all of that. Then the third charge against Jesus was his claim to be a king, which is true, although Jesus had also stated that his kingdom was not of this world. So all of those charges were unfounded, but notice the one charge that got Pilate's attention as governor was the charge of Jesus claiming to be a king. If that were true, then it was a potential political threat to Rome, and that's why Pilate had to investigate and why he asked Jesus if he was indeed the king of the Jews. Pilate wanted to determine if Jesus was a true political threat or just another religious zealot. Even as Pilate asked Jesus that question, he must have thought to himself, this Jew definitely doesn't look like a king. Pilate was probably quite surprised when Jesus answered and said to him, it is as you say. Jesus did not deny that he was a king. After that, those council members started piling on other accusations against Jesus, wanting to make sure that Pilate didn't allow Jesus to walk away. When Jesus didn't answer or defend himself against any of those other charges, Pilate marveled as we read in verse 5, and that's a strong Greek word that means that Pilate was greatly astonished. You know, Pilate had judged many prisoners in many court cases, and whether guilty or innocent, the normal response of the prisoner was to fiercely deny the charges. But instead, Jesus remained silent. At that point, it's pretty clear that Pilate was beginning to understand that Jesus had done nothing worthy of being put to death. So now he had to figure out how to release Jesus without inciting a formal protest from the Jewish Sanhedrin or else inciting a riot amongst the people in the streets. Pilate first tried to get Jesus released by making his annual offer of amnesty to one of two prisoners, a murderer and insurrectionist named Barabbas, or else the harmless Jewish rabbi Jesus. Pilate was hopeful that the Passover crowds would choose Jesus. That process is recorded here in verses 6 to 15, and uh, in verse 11, we read that the chief priest stirred up the crowds to call out for the release of Barabbas and then for the crucifixion of Jesus. Well, then Pilate tried a few other ways to release Jesus, but ultimately he had him sentenced to be crucified. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there have been many liberal writers over the years who have defended Pilate, arguing that he actually wanted to do the right thing, but caved into pressure by others. Going even further, there are Eastern churches like the Ethiopian Orthodox Church and certain Coptic churches who recognize Pilate and his wife as saints. <laughs> okay, They even observe St. Pilate Day on June 25th. Now, why would they consider him a saint, you might ask? Because they see Pilate as someone who didn't want to crucify Jesus, which is true, was forced to do so, not true, and then allegedly came to faith himself later on. But is any of that actually true? Well, let's separate fact from fiction. Let me give you several biblical reasons now as to why Pilate was fully responsible for his decision and his part in the death of Jesus. You might even want to make a note of some of these things for further study. 
Number one, Pilate told the leaders to just go ahead and deal with Jesus. John's gospel tells us that when the leaders brought Jesus to Pilate initially, he said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. In other words, Pilate gave them permission to basically do whatever they wanted to do with Jesus. Pilate was telling them that Rome would look the other way. This is confirmed by the very next verse in John's gospel in chapter 18 when those leaders responded to Pilate and said, well, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So those leaders wanted to kill Jesus themselves, but with the Passover and the massive crowds, they were afraid to do so. So now they're attempting to get Pilate to do their dirty work for them. But the point remains that Pilate was willing to let them deal with Jesus however they wanted, as long as it didn't disturb the peace. He didn't care. Pilate's agenda was to keep the peace in Jerusalem during Passover and then get out of that city and back to his palace on the coast as fast as possible. Number two, Pilate himself was a murderer. There are many historical accounts about the brutality of Pontius Pilate. According to Josephus, the Jewish historian, one example was the time during Pilate's term as governor over Judea in which he built a Roman water aqueduct, but he used money from the temple treasury to pay for it. And this great, uh, greatly offended the Jews who considered the temple money sacred to God. And so when some of the Jews protested the matter, Pilate sent troops in disguised as civilians to club and stab those rioters. A massacre took place as a result. Josephus records that Pilate was oppressive, greedy, stubborn, cruel, and violent. Along with that, we also read in the Bible, in the New Testament, Luke 13, there was a time when some worshipers from Galilee went to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices, and we read there that Pilate had them killed for unknown reasons. In the process, their blood was mingled with the blood of their sacrifices. All of that speaks to the nature of Pontius Pilate, and in the words of Pastor Chuck Swindoll, this was all in keeping with Pilate's sadistic brutality. Number three, Pilate was fully aware that Jesus was not a threat. As the governor of Judea, Pilate's main responsibilities were to command the Roman military, collect taxes, and preside over death penalty cases. As governor, Pilate lived in Caesarea, but he went back and forth to Jerusalem. So his job was to keep his finger on the pulse of all Judean activities. I'm confident he would have been fully aware of Jesus and his ministry over the course of the past three years. And more importantly, he would have been alert to the fact that Jesus was not some zealot or insurrectionist out to overthrow Rome. His teaching stated the opposite, including that taxes should be paid to Caesar. So long before those leaders brought Jesus to Pilate as their prisoner, I think Pilate was aware that Jesus was pretty much harmless. Number four, Pilate publicly pronounced Jesus innocent four times. In my opinion, this is one of the strongest condemnations against Pilate. It was his responsibility as governor to protect and provide justice for all citizens, Romans and Jews alike. And on four different occasions, Pilate stated publicly that Jesus was innocent and that he could find no fault in him. Pilate even washed his hands publicly in a basin of water as a symbolic gesture declaring his innocence in the matter, but then immediately turned Jesus over to the soldiers for crucifixion. And so here is the truth. The blood of Christ never washes off the hands of those who reject him. 
Well, number five, Pilate understood the leader's motives. As we read here in Mark 15 and in verse 10, Pilate knew that the chief priests had handed Jesus over because of envy. It was Pilate's responsibility to get to the truth, and I think he was probably not only experienced, but pretty good at doing that. In this instance, he recognized that the religious leaders had handed Jesus over to him out of envy and not because of any legitimate charges. Even so, Pilate still commanded Jesus to be crucified. He should have dismissed the case, released Jesus, rebuked those leaders, and sent the crowds home. But Pilate feared the pushback from the leaders as well as the crowd. It was Pilate's job to keep the peace, and though he hated those Jews and they hated him, he was the governor over Judea, and he needed to sort of get along with them. If the Jewish religious leaders made too many complaints to Tiberius, Pilate could lose his position. So he's trying to walk this fine line of keeping those in Rome above him happy while appeasing the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people. Number six, Pilate tried to get rid of Jesus by other means. The fact that Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent led him to make several attempts to find a way out of his dilemma. As we already discussed, one of those ways was to invoke the custom of granting amnesty to one prisoner each year during Passover. Another opportunity took place when Pilate learned that Jesus was a Galilean. During the Passover, Herod Antipas, who was over the uh, region of Galilee, that was his jurisdiction, he was also in Jerusalem for Passover. So when Pilate heard that Herod was in town and that Jesus was a Galilean, according to Luke 23, he sent Jesus over to Herod, hoping that he could remove himself from the final decision. And once again, why did Pilate do that? Because he knew Jesus was innocent. Herod's palace was just a short distance from the praetorium, but when Herod questioned Jesus and asked for a miracle, Jesus remained completely silent. It was a good example of not giving what is holy to the dogs or casting your pearls before swine. Feeling frustrated, Herod and his party resorted to mocking Jesus before sending him right back to Pilate. Finally then, out of sheer desperation, Pilate took the radical step of having Jesus brutally whipped, hoping that it would satisfy the bloodthirsty leaders and crowd. But even think about that. After declaring Jesus innocent of any wrongdoing, Pilate had Jesus brutally whipped. Pilate's own words were, I will punish him and then release him. Punish him for what? He hadn't done anything wrong. And after the vicious scourging, Pilate presented Jesus to the crowd, saying, Behold the man, hoping that the sight of a brutally beaten Jesus would appease them. But still, they cried out for him to be crucified. Number seven, Pilate's wife had a dream and gave him a warning. This is a very uh, interesting detail. It's only recorded in Matthew's gospel. So here was Pilate contemplating his dilemma And suddenly his wife, Claudia, sends a message to him, which reads, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Pilate's wife then had a dream that convinced her of Jesus' innocence, perhaps a dream that came from the Lord himself, though we're not told one way or the other. She knew it was important enough to interrupt her husband while he was deliberating. It's very likely that Pilate and Claudia had talked about Jesus during the Passion Week 
because Jesus was right there in the middle of the ongoing conflict with the religious leaders. You recall, you know, turning over the money changers table and driving out the animal sellers there in the courtyards of the temple. All that was right there where Pilate was at during that time. So he was well aware of it. And I think he and Claudia had been talking about Jesus. And you know, the Presbyterian minister, his name was Clarence McCartney. He wrote this of Claudia saying, of all the persons in Jerusalem at the time of the trial of Jesus, whether Jew or Gentile, friend or foe, disciple or stranger, this woman, the wife of Pilate, was the only one who dared to say a word on behalf of the innocent prisoner. Interesting. Number eight, Pilate had the power to set Jesus free, but did not do so. In John's gospel, not only did Pilate publicly pronounce Jesus innocent, he also stated that he had the power to have Jesus crucified and the power to have Jesus released. So once again, out of Pilate's own mouth, he admitted this decision to do right or to do wrong was within his power. Now, someone might say, well, what about the response of Jesus to Pilate when he said to Pilate, you could have no power against me unless it had been given to you from above? Well, that's true, but that didn't absolve Pilate in any way as he willfully made his own decision. Jesus was simply reminding Pilate that there was a much higher power than his authority as Roman governor. Number nine, Pilate heard Jesus personally and spoke with him personally, face to face. It wasn't as though Pilate was trying to operate on secondhand information. He was talking with Jesus face to face and several times in the process. He asked Jesus questions. He heard his responses. He experienced the silence. You know, in 1 Timothy 6.13, we read that Jesus Christ witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. In John's gospel, when Jesus uh, spoke about truth, Pilate quickly asked him, what is truth? But what Pilate said wasn't even a legitimate question. It was just an expression of his frustration. And then Pilate just walked away. There was Pilate asking Jesus, what is truth? While Jesus himself is the way, the truth, and the life. Imagine Pilate looking into the very eyes of love, truth, and deity, but he was blinded to see. Number 10, finally, Pilate gave the order for Jesus to be crucified. No matter what anyone says about Pontius Pilate, he gave the command for Jesus to be crucified. He did so after declaring Jesus to be innocent. He did so knowing that the religious leaders were fabricating their charges. He did so having no evidence against Jesus. He did so against the good advice of his own wife. He did so in violation of his own conscience. He did so in violation of his duty as Roman governor. He did so to, appre to appease the crowds and he did so to protect his own political position. Those are the facts. Over in John 19.12, and during Pilate's deliberation, the Jewish people and leaders said to Pilate, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Interesting. Remember earlier when I asked you to make a mental note about how Tiberius Caesar had given Pilate a gold ring with the inscription, uh, Amicus Caesarius, or Friend of the Caesar. That might well have been the seemingly insignificant moment which pushed Pilate into his final decision. When those religious leaders yelled at him and said, if you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend, 
Pilate might have glanced down at his ring and thought to himself, I'm doing this for Rome, and then sentenced Jesus to die. As Jesus was being crucified, and we'll look at this in our upcoming studies, Pilate felt the earthquake. He experienced those three hours of darkness from noon until three. He heard about the temple veil tearing in two and perhaps even saw some of the resurrected saints walking around Jerusalem. Afterwards, Pilate gave the order for a squad of Roman soldiers to secure the tomb of Jesus, but then heard the widespread reports of the empty tomb on Sunday morning. Did any of those facts convince Pilate that Jesus was the Son of God? Well, according to early church writers like Eusebius, Pilate continued to have troubles controlling Palestine after the crucifixion. Finally, about three years later, in AD 36, after Jesus was crucified, Pilate was removed from his position by Rome in disgrace. According to those same writings, Pilate was then exiled to a city in France where he then committed suicide. Sounds an awful lot like Judas Iscariot. Before we leave our passage, I'd like to offer a few takeaways from this study. In light of what we've talked about, here's four quick points of personal application. Number one, listen to Jesus. Pilate had heard Jesus speaking, but he wasn't listening to what he said. We need to make sure that we're not just reading scripture and hearing Bible studies, but that we're truly listening to what Jesus is saying to us. Number two, listen to your spouse. Pilate should have listened to his wife. For those of us that are married, we and our spouse, we're one in Christ, and so we need to give careful, prayerful consideration to each other's counsel. Number three, listen to your conscience. In his heart, Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent, and he knew that the religious leaders were railroading him, but he allowed compromise and political pressure to sway him, as well as violating his own conscience in the process. And number four, listen to the truth. Pilate heard the truth and spoke to truth incarnate, but he chose to kill the truth. Our lives and our decisions must be based upon truth. Not, must, not only must we love the truth, we must live the truth. Finally then, have you embraced and trusted the truth of Jesus and the person of Jesus in your life? Are your sins forgiven and is your future secure in heaven? Call out to Jesus right now and respond to his invitation of forgiveness and peace. In Jesus' name, amen.